You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I am your host, Michael Kushner. And I am so excited to be bringing you another wonderful episode. It's going to be full of inspiration and joy and wisdom and laughs. Pennywild is absolutely incredible. But before we get into the episode, I have some housekeeping. Please follow me on social media at the Michael Kushner or at Dear Multi-Hyphenate. And I'm also on TikTok at the Michael Kushner. You get exclusive words of wisdom, inspiration, knowledge about the industry. You just get so much more. If you love the podcast, you'll get more as well on social media. And speaking of the podcast, this is episode number 41. 41 different perspectives and stories. My lord, there are so many points of view of being a multi-hyphenate. So if you like what you hear today, if you're new to the world of Dear Multi-Hyphenate, please subscribe, like, comment, tell your friends, do all that stuff. You know what to do. It makes a world of difference. And thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network. Thank you to Alan, Dory, Britt, Katie, Yo, Stan, and Patrick, who engineered today's episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. And if you are also a reader, I am an expert contributor to Backstage. About once a month, I have a new article that comes out with Backstage, and I write about everything in the theater industry. I mean, talk about the multi-hyphenate experience, how to be a socially responsible artist, how theater artists can collaborate while social distancing, how to change your mindset about networking, three tips for collaborating with your significant other, and my most recent article is about college showcases. So check those out. I love writing with Backstage, and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. And as always, there's an option to be able to work with me. What's all the hype about the multi-hyphenate? Well, I have a free webinar that I am offering alongside my multi-hype workshop co-teachers, Ashley Kate Adams and Kimberly Faye Greenberg, both who have been guests on your multi-hyphenate. Some hot topics we are going to talk about are, am I multi-hyphenate? The multi-hyphenate and the casting director, finding your community, income, agency, decision-making, plus a Q&A where we will answer your questions. So please RSVP for free at www.multihypeworkshop.com. That's www.multihypeworkshop.com. I'm also incredibly lucky enough to be able to collaborate with my boyfriend, Remy Germanario, on another podcast called My Broadway Memory. The idea is simple. We keep Broadway alive. So we've had stars such as Todd Call, Colleen Ballinger, Mary Testa, Jonathan Freeman, Telly Leung, Shakina Nafak, Mark Shaman, Megan Hilty. I mean, the list goes on and on. And everyone comes on the show and shares their favorite Broadway memories to keep Broadway alive. And we are so close to reopening, but that doesn't mean that the stories can't continue and we are expanding. So we need you. We need you. We want your stories. We want you to be on the podcast as well. Let's celebrate Broadway together. So email us at mybroadwaymemory at gmail.com if you want to be on the show. Yes, you. We want you on the show. So email us. And feel free to listen to previous episodes at bpn.fm forward slash mybroadwaymemory. Okay, let's move on to our new segment called... You got a question? In this segment, I answer a question that was sent to me from a listener. 
You can send these questions to me via social media or email. So please, again, follow me on social media. Drop me a message, drop me a comment, and I will answer your question on air. So this question is from Jessica P. on TikTok. And she asks, why don't you like the word quirky when describing a headshot? The answer is very simple. Quirky is not a descriptive word. And so many people are taking on that word as a part of their identity. And we need to be specific. We need to be specific with our choices. What about you is quirky? And how is that going to help a casting director solve their puzzle? And another thing is that casting directors are also telling people, actors, that they are quirky. So... You know, we have the Zoe Deschanel quirky girl. We also have the Kristen Chenoweth quirky girl. But they have such layered, specific points of views and personalities. So it's not fair for the artist to just sort of be like labeled as that. Go deeper. What about you is quirky? It's the same thing for bubbly. What about you is bubbly? Why are you bubbly? share with us your point of views and your stories. I like saying, for instance, instead of boy or girl or whoever next door, I like having something descriptive like dusty, as if they're going to uh, change uh, the oil in a car and then, you know, sweep you up and bring you to the bedroom. Like those specific stories. The dusty person next door is very different than the Hamptons person next door. So be more descriptive because that will help you in your headshot session. That will help you in your manager meetings, your agent meetings, your auditions. It will just help you be more specific. And I cannot say that enough. Thank you so much, Jessica, for asking the question and being featured on You Got a Question? Reminder, if you have a question that you want me to answer, follow me on social media, ask me on social media, or email me at Photography at gmail.com. Today's episode is brought to you by the podcast Obsessed with the Best, which is created and hosted by Tina Scariano and Alex Ferrara. And here's a message from them. I'm Alex. And I'm Tina. And we're the hosts of the podcast Obsessed with the Best. We met in a spin class in New York City. Right after my Brazilian wax. Oof. (laughs) And we've been friends ever since. We've worked as actresses, singers, models, makeup artists, and producers. Depending on the week, we're doing something totally different. And because of our jobs, we have to try everything. Products, trends, you name it. And then we give you the real deal over drinks. We promise to only talk about the best of the best. The things we're absolutely obsessed with. And we cover it all because we know that a book and a documentary can add just as much value to your life as a jade roller and a cocktail. Welcome to Obsessed Obsessed with with the Best with Alex and and Tina. Tina. Don't forget to like, download, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Obsessed with the Best Pod. Hello, Mel Wildman. (laughs) Hi. How are you? I'm great. Um, reporting to you live from Laguna Beach, California. Oh, she's in Laguna right now. Very glam. Very glam. Um, very, very glam. And what I'm excited about this episode is because I don't. I have a lot of New Yorkers on. I, I you know, I, I try to get as regional as possible, but um, I feel like I don't have a lot from the LA perspective or the West Coast perspective. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that journey because I feel like the multi-hyphenate experience in LA is much different than it is here in New York. I feel like there's, uh, first of all, the mul- the word multi-hyphenate has been around, I think, a little longer in LA um, because, you know, there's much more, like, uh, production and uh, film happening out there. And in New York, I feel like we're a little delayed in that game. And finally getting there with, you know, self-produced web series and and shorts and and films and and all that jazz. But what has your experience been like as a multi-hyphenate in the industry out in LA? Yeah. I think that I was always a little bit resistant to the phrase. I had, you know, in earlier days had been familiar with the term like Renaissance man or Renaissance Mm -hmm. woman or, you know, person of many trades, but I never really resonated with that because I was so 
gung-ho, laser beam focus, tunnel vision, musical theater. So I always felt like that wasn't going to be a part of my identity because I was the one who was extremely focused on what I wanted to do from a really young age, had a specific sort of five-year plan, 10-year plan. But then that's the funny thing about life is that it just never goes according to plan and you get veered off your course. And now I completely resonate with that term. Um, I literally actually just put like Renaissance man in my Instagram bio because I felt like I wanted a sort of like non-arrogant way to let anyone that stumbles across my page or any of like my followers or friends or family to, to know that I am after a bunch of different things and that I can be of service for a bunch of different things. Um, at first I put like DJ, choreographer, director, producer, songwriter, artist. And then it's like, all right, calm down. Magician, like, you know, circus. Magic clown. Larry. <laughs> Magic Al. Shout Magic out. Al. Hey, Al's Magic Al. We love you. Shout out. Um, now, do, now doing socially distant bunny pulling. Uh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Can you imagine if, like, the bunny is wearing the mask? Oh, my God. Six feet. Six feet, little bunny. Six feet, little bunty. Little bunty. But now I I really resonate with that phrase. And I feel like, you know, it kind of goes back to this new found mantra that I've had this year, which is just like not waiting for permission from anybody to tell mm. me that it's okay to pursue this new avenue. Um, and I think that musical theater was a really, really great foundation. It was a really great starting point. It was a great access point to all these other trades because now everything that I do is really rooted in story and just like, you know, character and in, you know, subtext. And there's just always like a why underneath everything that I do. Yes. Which I think has just given me a, a really nice foundation and, and approach to all of these other things. Because at the end of the day, if you're not, emotionally connected to something if you're not gaining catharsis from it it's not going to be as effective it's not just it's just not going to resonate as hard so i think that's what's really kind of given me the confidence to pursue all of these other avenues is because i know what i bring to the table is rooted in you know story and and has a reason there's a why behind everything so i think that that was kind of the best education i could have had um and although i was just really really one track minded about like being on broadway and doing musical theater and that has like so you know, vastly changed over the last five, six years, I still am very grateful for that journey because I don't think I would have landed here without it. Let's talk about catharsis because you are, you're, you're sort of bringing the forbidden word of like getting joy out of what you create. I, I think that we're in this weird day and age where we don't realize that we're allowed to be joyous over what we create the things that we create are allowed to bring us the creator's joy as well as the audience i once i was doing something over quarantine and someone asked me if they found what i was doing to be selfish because i enjoyed what i was what i was doing as well as well as creating it and i was like we should all be so lucky we should all be lucky to to show up for work, you know, quote unquote, sit down at our computer during quarantine or or whatever it is and be able to produce and enjoy it. And all of a sudden the day goes by so fast when you're just getting, you know, just scratching the the surface of whatever you're creating and you have to wait until tomorrow again. Like we should all be so lucky. And I, I, talk to me more about finding joy in what you do. I think I always try to approach the project or even just approach the day and the more minutia of it all with please welcome to the stage minutia <laughs> minutia of <Miss>. it all <laughs> miss minutia of it all um, <laughs> thank you i feel seen by the by the wubs by the ums, ums. yes um i i just try to pursue things that are not only going to serve me but also like serve the common good of the people like i figure that if i'm doing something that makes me and 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 I am reducing this to a pulp in a little bit of a way to kind of like, I think, convince myself that the work I'm doing, even though I'm not on the front lines, is like still of, of importance. You know, I think we've all struggled with that over quarantine is remembering that even though what we're doing can seem very trivial and very niche and very self-serving, that at the end of the day, it, it really is, um, it really is, is doing right by the world and putting out art 
that helps other people go through the things that they're going through in their life and it gives them an escape. Um, but I think that if it's, if I can be doing something that's not only, you know, serving me and, and having me grow into the best of my capabilities and, and really like allowing me to step into my power, I'm also going to be producing the best work and then, you know, by proxy, delivering that work, putting that work out into the universe. And then hopefully somebody that's consuming it can find, you know, joy in their life. It can be an escape for them or it can inspire them. I think that like most of the art that I am a huge fan of not only makes me feel some type of way emotionally back to that catharsis, but it also inspires me to kind of like get up, get off my ass and like finish that song that I was working on because, you know, they did it. And now I'm almost like anybody who's listening, who's done the artist way will know that mm. like one of her tools is like turning jealousy into a roadmap. Mm-hmm. So if someone, if one of my peers like puts out a song and it's so good and I'm like bopping to it and I love it and it really inspires me, usually there'll be like a twinge, you know, a couple hours later that's like, why didn't I finish that song? That could have also had like a similar impact. And then it kind of gives me the fuel to continue. Not that the, the, not that the, the art in its purest form doesn't already inspire me to, to do that, but sometimes you do need that additional kick to be like, I do want to stay up all night tonight to get this done uh, because even though nobody's asking me to and no one's giving me a deadline, no one's holding me accountable or liable, I just want to be able to finish this project and put it out into the world and see if it can inspire somebody else. I just feel like there's this new sense of artist guilt where it used to be artists aren't feeling like they're doing enough, but now this... um, this new artist guilt is that artists are actually producing, that artists are actually doing. And I find that to be really interesting. Like you're talking about, why didn't I finish that song? Someone just came for me on TikTok, like earlier today, where I literally posted a video saying, guys, you could do this. Like the theater will be back. Breathe. Go sing Defying Gravity. Get yourself rejuvenated. Like, you know what I mean? Do whatever it takes for you to feel. And someone, of course, came for me and was like, well, that's that only like works for like a certain privilege group of people or like, you know, you're not talking uh, the you're not talking about the small town theater makers. And I was like, actually, I do talk to small town theater makers all the time. I'm talking to every single person right now about just doing something that makes you feel good and that you are allowed to create and that you are you all have stories that are happening to you in this time that should be told when this pepperoni is over. You know <laughs> what I mean? This 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 this, Pan- po- this panorama. Panorama. This yes. uh Papa John's is over. <laughs> and I I think that now there's an artist guilt that like one can produce and then their neighbor is not and watching them sort of like dissolve or fade into the background or like not participate anymore. And that makes that can make someone go, well, am I making them feel bad by producing? Is this like a very self-focused thing? I don't know if you've run into that at all, but I think that is the definition of of. TikTok. I think that has been the whole gag of it all is that people that have these nine to fives that now have time to get creative and, you know, explore a little bit more, even those types of people who don't even consider themselves themselves create creatives like properly are making, you know, tutorials for craft projects. They're doing like hooking things. They're, they're doing dances. They're choreographing in their own right. And I think it's putting a lot of, I think it's making a lot of these other artists kind of shake in their boots to think like, oh my gosh, now we have even kind of a more like globalized competition where anything I'm going to put out into the, into the world is, you know, sort of in viewership competition with somebody in Asia that is making a really hilarious comedy video. How is mine going to stand up to that person who already has all of this viewer retention and all of these sponsorships and like it's just so easy to start comparing yourself to other people right now because it's all on the internet and it was just there's just so much output right now I think the balance for quarantine for at least what's really helped me is finding that 
that real balance between input and output. I think in the beginning of the pandemic, I wasn't feeling inspired for output. I was like getting my bearings. There was like a social, right. a social justice movement going on. I was like, all right, let's, let's, let's put this all into perspective. What do I need to be focusing on? What's of the utmost priority? I want to be talking to my family. I want to be checking in on my mm-hmm. friends. I just want to be staying healthy, staying inside and avoiding this plague. Right. But then, you know, six, eight, nine months pass. And you've read all the books. I literally, it's so funny. I'm just such a parody of myself. It's like, as soon as <laughs> the pandemic happened, I was like getting, I was like, all right, let's get those Eckhart Tolle books. Yeah. Let's read the spirituality text. Let's start meditating. Let's cook. Let's work out. I like make did the, make absolute red. That's exactly. Momentation. You know. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. For my birthday, my parents sent me from Katz's Deli, like, mm pastrami and like mustard Mm. they sent me like a care package and so i was eating that for about two and a half weeks straight um little piece of new york in la shout out to Uh, katz's shout out to katz's but (laughs) um (laughs) but then only recently it's gonna be to be completely honest when i say recently i mean like september of last year was the time that i feel i felt like i needed to start I had so much new experience and so much new perspective like bubbled up inside of me that that only then it was time for the output. And then the, this project that I had been sitting on for years that I had never really found the right rollout plan for, like I was struggling to find the right label and the right release and the right dates and the right visuals and all of that. I just said, fuck it. And I was like, no one is going to give me permission to do this. So it kind of it kind of like kicked things into gear and, and made me make moves. And then I feel like I've been on a productivity like up and up ever since. But I, I did feel really blocked for a long time, I think out of fear of the competition. Because it's like, if you're going to do something, you want to do it 100%, or at least that's how I am. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it like I'm going to go hard, you know? And it's with this TikTok thing, like I've been so resistant to that app specifically because it's like, if I'm going to kind of make a content a content rollout structure and like do these like choreo videos and do these skits and make these music production tutorials it's like i'm gonna have to really devote it's gonna become another job and then it's always a toss-up does it land does it not did you put all of this work into this one platform and you're confining all of what you do into the like the parameters of what the app is and then it doesn't land. And then it kind of feels like time wasted that I could have been putting into long form projects. Yeah. Like all of the time I'm trying to put into like conforming to TikTok so that like the teens can be exposed to my work. And then I have I have more visibility and my voice is amplified. Great. But it's like, but then I don't, if I don't have an album or a music video or a, you know, op-ed to show for it, then what's the point? So it just becomes like the long form versus the short form, the input versus the output. And I think I'm struggling every day to find that balance, although I am a Libra. So it's-, it's I'm a fucking Libra. Fucking Libra, bro. Adore Delano. <laughs> Says that's how she introduces herself in season six of Drag Race. I'm a fucking Libra. Oh, dead. But yeah, I'm just, I'm always like trying to find that balance. And I, I only feel like now I'm this the sort of, pendulum is isn't swinging as you know fiercely it's kind of just going back and forth in a more manageable way i think and tiktok reminds me of how cool i'm not you know and i used to be i used to exactly how cool i'm not i used to be cool like i used to feel cool like french woods right when we were at french woods i had the same hair that i have now but it was so cool back then and like just we our friends made us feel cool exactly because like objectively we were not cool we were like at a summer camp on our parents dime doing spring awakening you know we were actually like the utmost we were we were pen 15 we were, it we was like, Pen15. We did not know. We were in Hell Week and we were telling everybody about it. And right. Like, because we were all in it together. Yeah. And I was like kissing boys that like I didn't even like. I, I, I was like, Same. I, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I just wanted to be cool. And, and we all thought we were so cool because we all, we all perpetuated that narrative onto each other. We're cool we're cool. You know what I mean? Like we're right. in New York city. Like we're working at a young age. Right, we're, right. we're at this summer camp. I go to PPAS. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I don't, and I'm in New Jersey and I desperately want to go to PPAS, but I, I'm not there. 
begged my for my senior year, my family to let me go live with my aunt or my grandma and let me go to PPAS for my senior year. Because I was in final callbacks for 13. So I was literally like, I'm going to be a star. I need I to be was, in New York. I was literally eating lunch at PPAS, meeting up with my friends and going in there and having lunch with them. And hilariously, the security does not give a fuck. They, you nope. just walk right in at the time. It was a different time. Was a different they time. didn't care. No. No. And I I would just kind of like take it all in. You know what I yeah. mean? I, I like but but I was fortunate enough to go to a performing arts high school. So I still I still did have my own little like version of that, you know. Right. We all can relate. But yeah, I mean, we are yeah, TikTok reminds me not only that I'm not cool, but it also <laughs> reminds me um that I'm an old hag. An old hag. I'm the we oldest just talked age. about Katz's deli and <laughs> laughed about it. I, and that's the thing is I literally for like a living on the side for like residual income, I am a digital marketer, marketing producer. So I like have a Rolodex of TikTok clients. I work with the app internally directly. Like I do a bunch of campaigns every month. I DJed the TikTok Halloween party two years in a row. Like I literally have such so a close wild. relationship with the app itself. And yet you cannot catch me making content because I am completely afraid, I think. I am literally like signing checks for people to create content on the platform. And yet I am running in the opposite direction, full speed ahead. I, I've watched the app change lives. Like my, my really good friend, Ryan, one of her songs blew up on TikTok. You know, she had just gotten signed to Atlantic. Her song blew up on TikTok. Suddenly we're both on tour with Youngblood. I'm like, I dance for her and help her choreograph stuff. So Luckily, like I've been very fortunate to even be involved in her like beautiful budding career, but her song blew up on TikTok and then like her career was changed. She was in sessions with some other people that maybe she wouldn't have had access to before. It's like, it is so powerful. It really is so powerful, but it is kind of a Russian roulette. Some of the videos land and some of them don't. And I think that like quality will always rise to the top. And in her case specifically, like her song was amazing. So it made sense, you know? Right. But some of these videos that are so, they, you don't even know like what you're watching, but you kind, you know, it's like kind of entertaining and you see 38 million views and you're like, you're telling me 38 million people just watch this video of a girl kind of like marking a dance to like a Willow Smith song. It just like none of it computes, but the amount of creativity on the platform. And I know we don't want you to get into like this TikTok tangent for much longer, but it really, it, it blows my mind, the amount of creativity on that platform. So I think, you know, it's more of just, I'm, I'm trying to shake my own fear and just kind of like go in. But I also am also trying to sort of negotiate with the idea that like, maybe it's not for everybody. Like it doesn't inspire me as much for some reason. What really inspires me is like working really hard for a really long time onto a project and making it the best that I can and then putting it out. And even if that means I'm not posting content every day, I feel like at least some people will appreciate the quality over the quantity. My um, my for you page on TikTok is pr- primarily ghosts and like British history and like dogs. So like it's it. not even it's not even theater. It's not even like what you see. It's literally like the most geekiest. It's the geekiest stuff in the world. But no, um, my my algorithm is dog videos, cooking videos. Yeah, and like lesbians that is that is my tiktok and like specifically vegan cooking because i don't even i'm not a vegan at all i'll never be a vegan i'm so sorry i fully support but i will never be a vegan but i got really into this one chick's recipes because she gets super creative and i i just can't stop watching them and so now my algorithm just like goes to vegan recipes but i'm i'm embracing it um i'm not on the app much but like when i am it's definitely um it's definitely really entertaining. So we'll let we'll let TikTok breathe for a second. It has its, <laughs> it has its own place in the sun. So I, I you know you have such a you have such an inspiring career in my eyes because you even though we were just talking about how you know it took you a second to feel inspired and by September you finally were like I'm ready to start creating again. But you have never been one to sit and wait for the industry to come to them like. You know, I met you right after you did West Side Story on tour, and you've always had this incredible gusto, this this energy. And 
How do you think that that has helped you break into? Because you moved to LA from New York. You did you did New York for a second, and you went to school mm-hmm. here, and and then you went to LA. Is there any innate Melanie Wildman, DJ Penny Wild attributes that you really relied on when breaking out into a new part of the industry and a new place, or were these learned learned things that you picked mm-hmm. up as you went? I think it goes back to that, like having that foundation of theater, because I think that not only taught me like dramaturgy, but it also taught me discipline and the hustle and the administrative side of things and the chase Mm -hmm. and being your own manager. Like even Mm -hmm. when I was represented and had an agent and had a manager and was like doing that whole thing, I still felt like I had to work hardest for myself. Right. And that completely translated to like this Los Angeles hustle because when I moved out to LA, well, I was working for Todrick when I moved out to LA, but after Todrick and I stopped working together and I decided I, I wanted to stay in LA, I not only took a lot of notes from his camp because he taught right. me so much. I mean, talk about like hustler. Hustler. I mean, hustler. name another hustler. Hustler name. magazine has nothing <laughs> on Todrick. <laughs> name someone that works harder. Like you can't, you can't, you know, it's just, it's wild. So I think not only being on the road and going to musical theater school twice, shout out. Um, <laughs> I really like took all of those lessons of, of what it means to propel yourself from point A to point B and what growth actually is, what that actually looks like. Um, and then I felt like I was ready to start chasing this new, you know, sort of sector of entertainment, which was, music and more specifically electronic music. And I really was just kind of like flying by the seat of my pants. I mean, the, like, the infamous story I tell all the time is just that I went to this one music festival and I saw this one artist, Grimes, who completely just like changed my life. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I saw myself in her. She had these great dancers. Her music was so catchy. It like hit the pleasure center in this really visceral way. And I literally like dropped out of pace, BFA musical theater program the next day online i just disenrolled from all my courses didn't tell anybody <laughs> i actually i wrote a letter to the to the department head but other than that i was kind of just like i have to do this for me people are going to look down on my decision it's not going to make sense and then the real kicker is are you sitting down it's because i want to be a dj so people are not going to like necessarily vibe with that i think a lot of people were like okay that's weird and cool but like good luck but i knew that i needed to be in la if i really wanted to pursue the music side of it all. Um, and it started as just being a DJ, but now it's turned into like so many other beautiful artistic opportunities. Um, and it's really melded with my like theatrical career and with my choreographic career and with my dance career. It's all kind of turning into this one sort of vague orb of work. And it doesn't necessarily make the most sense on paper, but I do feel like I'm kind of carving my own way in my own right. And it's, um, and it's, it's so far, you know, it's it's been a pretty beautiful thing. And that's why I think, you know, you're the definition of a multi-hyphenate, because what you've done is you sort of pressurized this lump of coal and and it may, it became this diamond. And it's the DJ Pennywild experience. You combine not only, you know, um, art administration by being your own manager and by being your own boss and creative, but you were a dancer as well as a DJ and you create this theatrical experience for for your clients and that is unbelievable and that is to me what a multi-hyphenate is all about taking your proficiencies and narrowing it into one experience that serves you the artist but also serves the story that you're telling which we were talking about in the beginning Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I think there are parallels to be found kind of throughout the whole thing. Obviously, creatively there are parallels because, you know, dance informs music and vice versa you know they're whether it's a generative or a reactive force they're they're both they go hand in hand everybody knows that you know when you hear a song your your you know impulse is to start moving to it that's kind of the whole nature of the beast but then from a logistical standpoint i felt like i kind of was able to beat the system in a weird way because i feel like i've been landing gigs that i am last in line to actually get but because I know the person who needs a choreographer through my music career and they say like, 
hey, Penny, uh, you know, one of my clients needs a choreographer. I know you're a choreographer. Do you, are you interested or do you know someone that's interested? And if Mm -hmm. it's, if it's something that I feel like is right for me, then I'll like make a pitch and submit and kind of see if I can finagle my own, you know, creative lens to, to land the job. But I feel like if I was going through this, the traditional route, like, for example, I am represented as a choreographer with with a agency in in LA, but it, it, you know, sometimes it's just like, they submit you and you'll get the gig or you won't. And they'll look at your credits and they'll look at your reel and they'll look at your like age and your experience. But 95% of the gigs that I've gotten as a choreographer, I've just received an email from someone who like saw me DJ somewhere or something. And they, I mentioned I was a choreographer and then they saw my Instagram and then they're like, we want to work with you because we know you, you know, because if we liked your music, odds are we'll like the other stuff that you do. If we just vibe with you as a person, then we want to be in the room with you. We want to be on set with you. And then vice versa, you know, DJ gigs that I've gotten, I will have been choreographed for an artist and then that artist needs a DJ to open for them on tour. And then it's like, oh, well, we know Penny from the DJ thing. You know what I mean? So they really have, you talk about like cross-pollination a lot. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I've seen on the horizon is, is a lot of this cross-pollination. And I feel like I was so hindered by the idea that I wasn't the best at one thing that I feel like I'm not the, I'm not the world's best choreographer i'm not like los angeles's premier choreographer i'm not paris scoble you know um but i also feel like i'm not calvin harris you know so that was really discouraging me for a long time because i felt like if i wasn't the best at one trade i was just going to kind of be mediocre throughout all and this would be the frequency right it would just be like super super mundane but then as the years go by and you really season those things that you're good at and you get really good at those things then there are there are certain people that really appreciate and vibe with the fact that you are versatile. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of an ever changing journey. I, I sometimes do wish that I like just focused on music production and was like just putting out like bop after bop and then like those would go to radio and I could start touring. But at the end of the day, as much as I, that's like a pipe dream of mine to be like amazing at one thing. I just know myself again. I know my Libra ass and I just, I'm never going to be satisfied if I just do one thing. You know, I have to continue to like dip my feet into all of these different things. Otherwise, I, I don't think I'll be, I don't think I'll be satisfied. I don't think I'll be complete. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Damn, that's great. I mean, look, I I have the same experience with my proficiencies and what I do. Like, do I have a, do I love my singing voice? I do. Is it weird as hell and super different and very specific? You bet your ass it is. But did I see Dr. Saluka? Did I get the vocal surgery? I absolutely did. Yes, she did, honey. Did I have yes, a pseudocyst? Yes. Did it come back? Yes. Yes. Does she keep it in a jar? <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> is her name Sid the Cyst? You betcha it is. Pseudocyst. sis. But I <laughs> just just choking on her orange juice at mm-hmm. what is the time is it 10 30 by you 10 30 yeah thanks thanks for time. waking up but you know i i feel that what you're saying is is amazing because we're sort of experiencing this career where we don't have anything to compare this to you know what i mean you don't have really much to compare to like no one is really doing the the vibe the combination of proficiencies that you're doing and no one is really doing it with me as well. Like the way that I got into producing from photography, which 
you know, and then I could produce projects that I could be like, we're sort of um, experiencing these new territories and we don't have anything to compare it to. And I feel like sometimes along the journey, it's a little like knock, knock, who's there? Is anyone listening? Am I, am I affecting anyone? Am I inspiring anyone? Am I progressing my career at all? At all? And I feel that way most of the time. Exactly. I really do until like little, like little revelations happen internally. But other than that, I'm always feeling like I'm just like throwing shit against the wall. And I genuinely think it's because we don't have anything to compare it to. We're sort of going, well, let's try to figure out this journey and let's hope for the best. And we, you know, we could pivot and go, that didn't work or that doesn't interest me. I thought that would interest me. I thought that story would interest me, but it doesn't. So I'm going to go over here. And uh, also advocating for yourself. That's a huge thing, being a multi-hyphenate, because, you know, you have representation and other multi-hyphenates don't have representation. So we have to advocate for ourselves and go, no, I don't want to do that job because that's not a story I want to tell. Or no, I don't want to do that job because I don't want to be seen as that type of choreographer or that type of photographer or that type of producer. Advo- advocacy is huge in our lives. And being a multi-hyphenate takes on a lot of responsibility, not only for the art that we produce, but for the communities around us and and the relationships that we build too. Yeah. I mean, and I always think there's a fine line between like self-advocacy and also straight up like braggadocious, you know, like for example, I have, I have a call with a manager coming up and I'm like trying to take some notes and figure out exactly how I'm going to present myself. And I want to sell myself because I know what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking to be represented. I'm, I'm feeling ready for that type of step in my music career, but I also want us to connect at a baseline level. And I just want us to like share our stories so I don't want to bombard with like, this is, you know, this is what I've done and here are my credits and blah, blah, blah. So while you do want to advocate for yourself, it's also like, I feel like the chips kind of fall where they may and that the work speaks for itself and that people can kind of, you know, can kind of see what they need to see just from having a conversation. So I, I feel like the advocacy is so important, but I also try to remind myself that the work speaks for itself. The work definitely speaks for itself. No, you're... What are your goals? Like, where do you, you know, we were talking about five and 10 year plan, but I remember us having a conversation where you were so excited about you were creating this device that was, you know, that was going to do this very specific thing regarding DJ and dance and combining those things. Are have you found your, yourself able to, um, sort of brainstorm on something that excites you? Like, how have you sort of taken this pandemic, this panorama, and made it work for you instead of you working for it? That's a great question. Um, Very eloquently said. Oh, thank you. I will never try to cast this, like, glaze of of silver lining onto this experience because I just know that there's been so much collective loss and grief and it has been just like baseline traumatic for all involved so I'll preface what I'm about to say with that and say that I'm not whatever I'm about to say about how the pandemic has been for me personally I completely understand has been just devastating and unfathomable and um I wish it didn't happen but it oh, did yeah 100 so you, you know had to go with it yeah and for me personally, it happened to be one of the best years of my life. Um, it just gave me the extra push. It made me look inward. I started opening myself up to a little bit more of like a universality of a spirituality, which I've always been really against my whole life, like radically. I've just been like anti-higher power, anti-God. Like I make right. a lot of jokes about it. But I was like, what would happen if I was a little bit more curious? What would happen if I opened myself up to like meditation, manifestation, you know? And the results have been really overwhelmingly positive for me. Um, and it could just be like a change of mindset, like a placebo thing. That's a whole nother, you know, gig. But all that to say, I feel like the pandemic really did work for me. I feel like it really gave me the push that I needed. It, you know, forced me to put out this project that I had been sitting on for a long time, kind of out of fear of what people would, would think of it, which was created with that device that I, that I um, sort of, you know, pioneered in in 20 
17, I believe, which mm -hmm. was called the penny pad, which was a MIDI controller um, that was powered by your feet. And that picked up some steam and that really kind of like got the ball in motion. And then I wrote an EP and produced an EP using that device. Um, but I just was sitting on it. And so then like years went by. Or stepping on it. Or stepping on it. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Um, <laughs> I finally released it. And that just has propelled and opened up so many other doors. And now I'm working on another EP. I just got back two days ago from New Mexico. I was where I was writing and recording that project. Um, five track EP, all original songs. It's not done yet, but we have a plan to put it out later in the year. Um, visuals will be accompanied by it. So it's kind of like finally really taking all of the things that I love to do, which is write, produce, direct, choreograph, and sort of conceptualize and creative direct. Um, and it's giving me a real platform to do that. You know, it's giving me a real centerpiece. Okay, so it's all about the music now. And then once the music is made, then I'm cutting the vocals. Then once the vocals are cut, then I'm going to get it mixed and mastered. And while that's happening, I'm going to conceptualize like what the world's going to look like and what the coloring is going to be and what the visuals are going to be and what what producer am I going to hire? What dancers am I going to hire? You know, what stylist am I going to hire? And then it just allows me to really kind of work in this cyclical nature that I can kind of do all of those things that I'm really, that are non-negotiable. You know, I'm not going to not direct my own stuff. I'm not going to not choreograph right. my own stuff. Right. Um, so it's just giving me this landing pad, you know, and it's not, some things are more glamorous than others. It's like, this is just a project for me. It's not like I'm working for Zed. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just doing this thing for me. Get doing those things for other artists has been also really, really gratifying. And the, there's been money involved there, you know, whereas with me, oftentimes I'm just kind of recycling my own money into the project. And then any of the revenue I make from it goes back into the, into the project, which is, you know, definitely a commonality, I think, amongst indie artists. But the pandemic, I don't know really what it was. I think maybe there was just a lot of time for introspection, but it just I just got my shit together. I mean, I'm still getting my shit together. It's not, it's still a mess. It's not perfect, but it kind of forced me to say, you are you are the only person in your way. You are the only thing in your way. Huh. You've been wanting to put this shit out forever. It's not going to be perfect, but nothing's perfect. The hardest thing about making music is finishing music. You know that, you know, kiss it, bless it, and put it out into the world and then move on to the next thing. I just, I was so tired of like being envious of my peers that were right. doing the damn thing. And I right. put in all the hard work to do the damn thing, but then I didn't release it into the world and, and gain any of the, uh, reap any of the benefits. Um, and so I'll never wait that long to release a project ever again. Good. <laughs> Be, uh, good. Being, um, being a white creator during this time has really been extremely eye-opening and how I've been sort of going through life um uh monetizing on privilege that i didn't even know i didn't even know and this time albeit that it was extremely uh extremely extremely heartbreaking and terrifying and sad and eye-opening uh i have really sort of learned about who I am in society and the type of artist I want to be in society. Mm. And I like to think that it's being reflected in my art, but I think this goes back into a sort of, you know, the conversation that we were having before, like putting art out there. Like there is a weird sort of grittiness that's attractive in this time because it is being put out in the pandemic. Like if we look at history you know, some of the most amazing things that are in museums or the most coveted things are the art that is produced during a time of absolute distress devastation, and yeah. devastation. Like I was just at the Jewish Museum the other day. That's where Remy and I spent our Valentine's Day at the Jewish Museum. That, that scans. It really scans. And there was one menorah that really caught my eye. And that was, you know, it was made at, I want to say Bergen-Belsen. It was like mm. carved at Bergen-Belsen and like hidden all year and then taken out at Hanukkah. And then it was buried. And then years later it was found. And I thought that was so beautiful that like, here's this menorah that was born out of a, a need to express oneself, a need to, you know, carry on culture. And if caught 
one could risk death. And I thought that that was so beautiful that that was born out of such a devastating moment in history. And I think I'm seeing a lot of things where artists during this time are really taking initiative to do that, to make their mark, to finally speak up, to finally share their poems, to finally share their songs or their photography. And it's been um, incredibly inspiring. It has been incredibly inspiring. And like the, the influx of new art that I've been able to consume during this time, you know, by like BIPOC creators right. has been overwhelmingly um, just beautiful. You know, there's just so much that I hadn't picked up on that I like had missed because I'd been too distracted. And now you have all this time to really reflect and to like look inward and to clock your privilege and to sit the fuck down for a second. I think that was another reason too, is that like, it didn't feel like my time to speak up in the beginning of the pandemic. I was just, right. I didn't even know how to put the pieces together. We all woke up to like our racism in 2020. Yeah. Very so much we so. all had to grapple with that and that wasn't comfortable and, right. it sh- and I'm glad it wasn't comfortable, you know, yeah. but having those conversations with like, your friends who who felt directly targeted at the time kind of felt attacked, you know, you, you just try to find ways to amplify those voices. Um, and you kind of just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, and that was actually a really great lesson t- to know when to sit down and to know when to put your hands up and to just ingest and to support and donate and to like be an ally. Um, just kind of be- being able to like, pick that apart and kind of understand it in my own right. But yeah, I mean, it's like the amount of the ways that this year has clocked us all and taught us all so many lessons. I keep, and this is like not even going to make sense because I keep trying to make sense of this out loud and nobody, like literally not one single person understands this sentiment, but I feel like this year has just been such a metaphor and I don't know what the metaphor is. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I have a hard time placing. But what's crazy to me is that like, we can't see our loved ones we literally like I can see some of my friends, but I can't see my family because that's too risky. Right. I can't spend time in New York, which is like my favorite place, which recharges me and is like a character in my life, you know, but I can be out here in LA because I can be outside. And then when it's really bad in New York, it's good in LA. And then when it's really bad in LA, it's good in New York. Like all of these really strange like prophecies that like I'm kind of trying to make sense of in my like logical brain it just feels like a metaphor for something. The fact that like we can only hang out in small groups. What is that about? Like, you know what I'm saying? It just is, it has felt so, um, it's just felt so like theatrical. This whole thing has been like so dramatic that it literally feels so metaphorical and theatrical. And I just, it's hard to put your finger on what the lesson is. There's going to be a lot of ways that, you know, we're going to be looking back at this time and it is very theatrical. I think ultimately it's, it's, um, extremely, uh, guttural this time. I've cut relationships out of my life because I realized like when, when I think about this time, I'm like, cause I had the virus in March. And we had oh. a FaceTime. I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, this was another thing was that I was just like waking up to like relationships that I like wanted to, you know, water a little bit more and, and, yeah. and, and get dive back into. And I think it had been a couple months since we had actually like sat down and had a catch up. Yeah. And I remember we talked for like an hour and a half and it was right after you had the virus. Yeah. Trim the fat. Yeah. Trim the fat baby. That has been really interesting to experience because now I feel like I have more of um, a capacity for myself and for stories around me that really do need my attention, like BIPOC stories. Um, so I, I I feel like there has been really beautiful um, developments for myself in this pandemic, but there is a sense of guilt as well. And that's been really interesting to navigate. Yeah. And I'm so happy for you that you've like found that. And I think that the guilt doesn't go away and shouldn't go away. And I think it's a part of navigating this. And I think nothing in life is black and white. It's all very nuanced. It's, you know, it's all very complicated. And and that really checks out with this year. 
You know, I think that there's been a lot of beautiful highs and lows for people in their personal life, in their creative life, in their romantic life. I think a lot of things boiled up to the surface. Like we saw a lot of relationships sever. And I think that was because you're just left to your own devices and you have nothing but time to realize that that thing is non-negotiable and doesn't work anymore. Right. Um, But that's great because that could, that was an expedited release. Yes. And those two people can move on and then move on to the next thing that might serve them better. Exactly. Um, So I think this time has just been so complicated. Um, And then there's a guilt too of just like, right, exactly what you're able to do. Like I had so much LA guilt, the fact that I was staying inside 100% of the time, but I was still able to like, you know, open my window or like take a walk around Mm -hmm. my neighborhood in my mask and not come across anybody. I had space. I could order food. You know, like there were all these like privileges that I had just being in LA, just not being in New York City, just not being on top of one another. I do Um, think that that is what what I'm talking about regarding creator's guilt, like this guilt of like, I can open up my window or I can open up my computer and write this one app because in a controlled environment, in a safe environment. Exactly. Where I feel, yeah. Exactly. When when this creator can't because they're in the hospital or that creator can't because they're not feeling inspired. Or, you know, they're just depressed and they don't have or, the capacity to do it because their roommate has COVID and they're literally locked exactly. inside their room without any natural light. It's like all of these, all of these little um, situations that we've all kind of found ourselves in at one point or another. Exactly. But because, you know, I've always struggled with not knowing if I wanted to return to New York for a little stint. And that was, this was the year I was going to do so. And so then it was like a big clocked moment of, Oh my gosh, imagine if you went back to New York, you know, you made the right choice, Mm -hmm. but it's like when everything goes back to normal, quote unquote, if, and when that ever happens down the line in the far future, um, it's going to be hard to justify not being in New York. I know. Well, it's an it's we're going to get back to an informed normal. I think that there's a lot of work to do. I think that you, across that, the board, across the board, that I think yes, we will. We have ha- to tear it all down, but and and, oh, and build it back up, oh, like brick by brick, brick by brick, without a doubt. I think that the structure will return. Like we will have people performing on a stage again with a full house. Yes, a concept. We will have that concept of what theater will look like or what production looks like, you know, but the voices, it's not just going to be BIPOC people on stage, you know, managed and dictated by white people, but people of color will be behind the scenes as well. And uh, there's so much work. There's so much work to be done. And, you know, I think you and I were doing what we can, making sure that like, you know, our stories get across. We're doing what we can from our homes. Mm-hmm. Keep telling stories. And you're so inspiring, Penny Wild. I love you very much. I love you very much. Thank you so much for having me on. Where can we find you on social media? I am at Penny Wild Music on all social platforms. Uh, my Spotify is just at Penny Wild, and my SoundCloud is at Penny Wild. Um, and yeah, I've got videos on YouTube and all that good stuff there you have it everyone thank you so much penny wild for joining me on today's episode thank you to broadway podcast network again alan dory Britt, katie yo stan and patrick again patrick thank you for engineering today's episode please follow me on social media you will get so much more content so if you love today's episode you will get even more content more inspiration more wisdom, more points of views, more multi-hyphenating realness. I hope everyone has an inspiring week. Uh, I hope everyone has more clarity. I hope everyone makes bold choices. And I can't wait for you to listen to the next episode. So, so, So like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you gotta do. Bye!
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.